Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am delighted that I get to speak to Dr. Andy Davis for the whole hour. So make sure you get your Bibles open and your notebooks ready and your pen in hand, because you will learn a ton today. Uh, Andy is the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina, and founder of Two Journeys Ministry. Uh, Andy, welcome to the show. Uh, Bill, it's great to be with you again. Yeah, I got a really interesting question from a listener. And before we get into 1 Corinthians, which we're going to talk about today, uh, I would like to address this question with you. She has several people in her life she cares deeply about, but they just don't believe they, they've they sinned. Mm. They, they, they just don't think they have sin. So mm. how do you share the gospel when you're always come against, coming up against these rebuttals like, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. So mm-hmm. can you can you share in a way that speaks to those kinds of objections? Yeah, it's very serious. Uh, it is. It's, it's, it's indispensable that they see themselves as needing a Savior. And put it this way, and I think I would call it a therapeutic model of salvation, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the mm-hmm. sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus came to heal us of our sin. And so what I believe is that the law of God is what convicts people of sin. The Holy Spirit uses the law to show people their brokenness and their sin. So we have to do what the Puritans called law work with people. And and that is the Ten Commandments and the two great commandments. I think that'll do it. Especially Jesus's, if I could put it this way, his legal commentary on the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say that if you're even angry, you're in danger of hell. And the wow. same thing is true of, of adultery. You may not have ever physically committed adultery, but if you've even lusted, um, you're in danger of hell. Uh, and I think he gets that uh, very consistently from the 10th commandment of the 10, which is you shall not covet, which is a, a heart sin, something we do with our hearts, a, a yearning or desire, a poisonous desire for someone else's blessing, somebody else's possessions. And that's forbidden in the Ten Commandments. And so God probes the mind and the heart with the Ten Commandments, not just the behavior. But the fact is, we have behaved badly, too. It's not just heart sins. We have acted. And then we got the two positive commandments, which are love commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. And those Ten Commandments, if understood properly, and the two commandments get the job done. If somebody's open to being convicted, if the Holy Spirit's working, you will use that law to show them their need, and then Christ is the answer. Hmm. Well, I already feel like I've gotten my money's worth, and I don't even pay you. <laughs> that was brilliant. So good. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Andy That's Davis is my guest, and we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians. And I assume, just because we have less than an hour, Andy, we're going to do a 30,000-foot yeah. view. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the challenges always is to know uh, what level of detail to get into because the scripture bears the closest to most meticulous study. But just so um, you know, I, my yeah. listeners love detail. They love oh, yeah. detail. So if you want to do two verses in the whole hour, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, we're not going to 
We're not going to do that. Um, I, what I did uh, as I was thinking about this time together, as I looked over, I, I preached 69 sermons in First Corinthians over a number of many months. Um, and, uh, you know, just went through it again, went through the, the whole 16-chapter book again, and just reminded myself of the deep and rich rich themes. So, you know, really what we've got there is the power of the gospel. That's central. The power of the gospel in the lives of a very dysfunctional church, a very a very messed up local church. And so uh, we see the combination of the beauty and the perfection of God's uh, saving work in Christ uh, lives of very sinful and messed up people. And, you know, I think it's so beautiful that the Bible is so honest about our sin. Um, it, it doesn't it candy coat it, doesn't, doesn't put whitewash on it, it tells us the truth. And so when we look at the church at Corinth, however beloved, and they were beloved by God, they were seriously messed up. And so you're, as you walk through the 16 chapters, you're looking at one, one issue after the other as Paul addresses it. And so I think it's just beneficial for us to, to learn and to walk through it. Mm-hmm. So should we start with um, chapter one, or where would you like to, to yeah. jump in on this? Because well, uh, you're yeah. the boss. Yeah, well, what I'd like to begin is just the history that we get from the book of Acts of how Paul even came to Corinth, and and there's a a beautiful meshing together in the book of Acts, the history we have there of Paul's ministry in Corinth, and what he says about his ministry in 1 Corinthians. So what happened was he was was on his um, missionary journey, and he's going down from, you know, he goes to Athens, and he's alone in Athens, and he has a a rough time there, and, and uh, he, he preaches boldly at uh, Mars Hill, and you know they, they mostly mock him. And then he travels that short distance uh, from Athens to Corinth, and uh, Corinth was a, a very wicked and depraved um, kind of port city with all all manner of, of evil. And uh, when Paul gets there, he says in First Corinthians chapter two, "I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." Uh, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My my message and my preaching were not with wise, philosophically polished words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. So that's Paul speaking, and he's just saying, look, uh, simply preach the gospel. And then he circles back later in the First Corinthians 15 to say, now I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which, you know, on which you've taken your stand. It's it's a very simple, straightforward message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the, the centrality of the gospel, and I want to say, Bill, the su- sufficiency of the gospel mm-hmm. to address all of the sins that come up in the lives of these Corinthians. It's so beautiful. Tim Keller put it this way, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, but it really is the A to Z of the Christian life. We're never done with the gospel, and we see that in First Corinthians. Mm. I love that. One of the questions I've been asking myself in some of my study time, Andy, is I think God is looking at me and saying, am I sufficient? Mm. And the answer is has, is, and has to be absolutely yes, even, even though there's times you feel a little desperate. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the beauty is when, when the Lord is done saving us, when we are in glory, when we're in our resurrection bodies, we will be beautifully and completely conformed to Christ, uh, but not yet. And, uh, you know, we have the reality of sin in the lives of genuinely converted people in this. I said the word dysfunctional almost every sermon, I think, when I preach through. <laughs> this is a, it's just a messed up church. and And yet, we can, as we look at it, we realize, hey, we, we need it. We, we have our own uh, problems. So, 
Yeah, at the beginning, Paul uh, starts and he, and he greets them in chapter one, and uh, you know his usual greeting, and he, and he lets them know how much he loves them, and he's he's praying for them, he's delighted in them, uh, and and there's just such a warmth of Paul's personal ministry, uh, which is so beautiful um, all the time that you know you see the affection the people had for Paul in many in many settings in the Book of Acts, and and he loved them and he greeted them. Uh, but then he immediately appeals to them for unity. Um, they are uh, a divided church. They are divided into factions. You know, I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Uh, that's my mm-hmm. favorite group of all. Which is, it may sound great, but it really actually ends up sounding kind of arrogant to me. It's like I, we're the true Christ followers over here. <laughs> and so there's this this division here and these factions. And Bill, what's so sad about that? Praise in John 17 that we may be one as the Father and the Son are one. And that's where we're going to end up. In heaven, we will be perfectly, completely united with one another. So therefore, any factions, divisions in a local church are evidence of sin. And Paul appeals to them, and he literally says, to be of one mind, to be like-minded, to actually agree, to think alike with each other. And the only way, Bill, that happens, I think, is by the ministry of the Word of God, which is a standard, perfect standard of truth, and by the power of the Spirit can factions and divisions be healed. And I'll tell you, I just in, the, in my knowledge of local churches in my area and pastors that I've interacted with, factions and divisions in local churches are a present reality. Yeah. Uh, many, many churches have them. So Paul addresses that uh, right from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Andy Davis is my guest. Andy, when you were reading chapter 2, verse 2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was mm-hmm. with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yeah. Was Paul giving them just a little bit of attitude based on the amount of dysfunction that was going on? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think what it is is they, like many Greeks, were in love with with a human philosophy. Mm-hmm. They were loved with polished rhetoric, with skillful speaking. And Paul wasn't known that way. He wasn't a polished speaker, although he obviously is very powerful in his speaking. Yeah. Yet he was not like, I think Apollos was a skilled rhetorician. I think he had that polished delivery, and he was a godly man, but the others would be, there, there would be traveling philosophers that would go from place to place, and they would give polished rhetorical presentations, and Paul wasn't like that. He he said, look, that that's just not who, who I am, but look what happened when I was there. I planted a church. People were healed. People were converted. Lives were changed. And so look at the power. This other stuff is just fluff. And so the second half of chapter one, he basically debunks human wisdom. He, you know, this is, these are the Greeks. This is Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. These people gave philosophy to the world. People still read these Greek philosophers, you know, centuries later, and they were skillful thinkers. But it's interesting. It says in chapter one, First Corinthians one, uh, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him. In other words, God cannot be discerned or reasoned to. He must reveal Himself, and if He doesn't reveal Himself to a person, they'll never know Him. And so, you know, as proud as they were of their Greek philosophy. Um, in the end, it was foolishness. And Paul kind of turns it around and says, you know, they said that the gospel's foolishness. And he says, look, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And Christ is the, the quintessential foolishness of God and weakness of God in his death on the cross. It seems completely offensive, a stumbling block. It seems foolishness, but it actually is the way that sinners are saved. So that's chapter one, and he just walks through that. Wow. 
Dr. Andy Davis is my guest. He's senior pastor at the First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. We're going to take a break. When we come back, lots more on 1 Corinthians. Get your Bibles open. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Andy Davis as my guest. We're studying 1 Corinthians with him. If you ever want to do an in-depth dive, you can go to his website. And would you preach 68 messages, Andy? Yeah, uh, 69, actually. 69, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I jumped into uh, Job on the website, and it was Mm -hmm. fantastic. I just have to say, Mm -hmm. you're amazing. So thank you for making that resource available for anyone who wants to go check it out. Yeah, awesome. Let me say the website. It is FBC Durham. Is that where we want to send people? dot org. Yeah, probably two journeys because uh, two journeys ministry website. But two journeys has just my teachings. Okay, so awesome. I will go to two journeys. dot org. Two journeys. dot org. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I have to say, as we are still in chapter two, and I'm looking at what yeah. Paul says about my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, mm-hmm. but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Is that a little bit of a humble brag? Well, I don't think so. I think what he's saying is, look, this this message um, by design, what we call milk, Mm -hmm. the core, the core of the Bible uh, about God, about humanity, about Christ and the need for repentance and faith, a child can understand it. It's really simple. And so, um, now, obviously, there are depths in the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. We could study it the rest of our lives. We'll never probe them all. Right. But I, I think what he's saying is, this is a simple, clear message. And at the end of chapter one, I didn't mention it, but he says, look, look at yourselves. You guys are not a bunch of all-stars. You're not a bunch of, uh, you know, scholars. And you're simple, common people. God chose the weak and the foolish and the lowly things of the world and the things that are not. He's not trying to insult them, but what he's saying is, look, God delights in doing that. So I think that's what he's getting at there. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, the rest of chapter two, he zeroes in on the work of the Holy Spirit. And we mentioned that just a moment ago uh, when we were talking. Uh, the Holy Spirit is given by God to bring sinners to Christ. And in every generation, he does that. He goes all over the world and uses the preaching of the gospel to save sinners without the work of the Spirit. The things of God are foolishness to people. They don't make any sense. Mm -hmm. They mock them. They laugh at them. In our generation, uh, they're too intelligent for them, or they don't need them, etc. But when the Spirit is working on someone, his eyes are open. He starts to see himself as a sinner condemned, needing a Savior. He sees the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Christ crucified, and the Spirit does his work. And that's the beauty of it. Every single person listening to this um, program, um, you and I, Bill, as Christians, we owe our salvation as much to the Holy Spirit as we do to Christ, because without the Spirit, Christ's work would have meant nothing to us. Uh, and so uh, that's what he's saying in chapter 2. It is by the power of the Spirit that people, that sinners are converted. Then in chapter 3, he circles back on this whole factions and divisions issue. As the, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Paul, so I follow Cephas. 
He says, you're just clearly acting like children when you see it that way. You don't understand. You don't, you're acting like, like carnal, he says, or like you're, like you're babes. Um, what you need to understand is that the human messengers, the pastors, the evangelists, the missionaries, even the parents, the Sunday school teachers, you know, those, they are nothing. You know, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Bill, what that means is we're nothing, but God who gives the growth is everything. And then he goes at the end of the chapter beautifully. He says, look, you get us all. You don't have to choose between Paul or Apollos or Cephas. You get Paul and Apollos and Cephas. All things are yours. God is giving you the gifts of good teachers, and you get them all. So why choose? We're not, we're not on different teams here. We're all together, and he'll make that very plain in, in the body uh, teaching in chapter 12 on spiritual gifts, but we're one body. So he says, look, fundamentally, when I came to Corinth, I laid a foundation. I preached, and he calls himself an expert builder. He's not, I don't think that's a humble brag there. I think he's just saying, look, I did my work well. I preached Christ crucified and resurrected. I laid a foundation, and then I left because I'm an itinerant church-planting apostle mm-hmm. trying to go to places that <laughs> have never heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. And the people who come after me need to be very careful how they build. Because if they build well, like with gold, silver, or costly stones, their work will survive on into eternity. It will be tested by fire, and if it survives, they'll receive their award. But if they build poorly, which is wood, hay, and straw, their work will be tested by fire, and it'll, be, it'll burn up. It'll be worthless. And so that's a great picture of Judgment Day and the testing of our works. But the home base is careful work in the church. So I look at that for myself. When I preach a sermon or even this, this program we're doing together, I want to do careful work because I don't want my work to be burned up like wood, hay, or stubble. And so that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Oh, so good. Andy Davis is my guest. Andy, I'm looking in chapter, I'm still in chapter 3, and in verse 18, I do see one of the great paradoxes here. It says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that right. you may become wise. Yeah. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And that almost takes us back to yeah. the opening question we had about someone yeah. who may not like the word sin, who says, well, I, I don't sin. Matter of fact, don't, don't tag that word on me. I don't like that word. Yeah. Well, God opposes the proud, but there's grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. And when he's saving you, he humbles you. And so that's what Paul means there when he says, you know, if you think you're wise, become a fool so that you can actually be really wise. And here's the, here's the fact. When we're in heaven, when we're in glory, and the book I wrote on heaven is about uh, progressive development of in heaven of us constantly learning more and more and more and more about the glory of God, now that's going to be wisdom. Um, but right now, well, we have a long way to go. Now, in chapter 4, uh, I would have to say, Bill, one of the most eye-opening chapters for me was chapter 4, one of the most convicting as well. And I would commend the rebuke that Paul gives the Corinthians in the, in the middle or latter part of chapter four for all of us as Americans. We, uh, what's, going, what's going on in 1 Corinthians um, 4 is he takes on their attitude where they have this arrogant attitude that they are already kings, already rich, already successful and prosperous and well thought of. And I think it has to do with their desire to be well thought of in Corinth, even by pagans. 
and successful, almost like prosperity gospel kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, you don't seem to understand who we are. We, the apostles, are like men condemned to die in the arena. We're at the end of the procession. It's like there's this, um, been this military battle, and the prisoners are trudging in chains, and we're at the end, and we're going to get executed. Basically, we are uh, beaten, we are persecuted, we're in prison, we're in rags, we often go hungry. We are crushed for the gospel. But the fact is, that's where we ought to be. That's where God wants us to be. But look at you. You are so wise, you are so successful, you are so prosperous, you're so rich. And he's really laying it on thick. And at some point, he just stopped. He says, look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to shame you, but I am trying to warn you. As a father, you have lots of brothers, but I'm, I'm your father. In the gospel, I became your father. So I'm warning you, don't seek earthly success. Don't seek earthly prosperity. Don't seek to be loved by the pagans of the world. Be faithful to Christ. And if you do, you're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. But God will love what you're doing, and he'll reward you. So chapter four bears, I think, careful meditation, I think, by all of us. Mm-hmm. Andy Davis is my guest. Andy, that verse nine just jumped off the page in, in a new, fresh way for me just now. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those yeah. condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. That's right. And then the ultimate spectacle was Christ. I mean, what did Christ look like to the citizens of Jerusalem when he was literally dead, bloody and dead on the cross? That's the whole point. It's like, what did that look like? A completely mangled corpse, right? Uh, Yeah, it's just disgusting, repulsive, under a curse, etc. But we know that it's the wisest, most powerful, most beautiful thing that has ever happened. Like it are true, faithful gospel ministers who are willing to be hated, willing to be persecuted, willing to be reviled, willing to be insulted, but used by God to build the church. And so he's asking the Corinth to join. The image I get is like one of those big uh, inner, you know, no, downtown city department stores like a Macy's in New York City with, I don't know, 10 floors, and there's an, a, an up escalator and a down escalator. And he's like passing them as he goes down to the basement, all right, where all the work is. And they're going up to the, I don't know, the penthouse, you know, the, the, the rotating restaurant on the top of the thing. It's like, you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> Next floor, get off, go over, and get on the down escalator so you can follow us and imitate us. So that's chapter four. Chapter five, um, probably one of the most significant chapters yeah, and, um, for and us. I'm guessing, Andy, to be fair, we're going to have to start that after the break because we do have a okay. break coming up here. Absolutely. Uh, do but I do want to uh, make sure we don't miss anything. But I yeah. do want to just end this in the last 30 seconds with verse 20 that says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Yeah. What do you prefer? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Very, very convicting. Very convicting. convicting. All right. Dr. Andy Davis is my guest. We're going to be right back as we continue to study the first book of Corinthians. You can learn more about Andy at twojourneys.org. Twojourneys.org. If you hear anything on the program so far you'd like us to elaborate on, the text line is open, 877-933-2484. Be right back.
A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is, after all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama. Over 40 voice actors and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts or just go to myfaithradio.com. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Dr. Andy Davis is my guest. He's the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. And you can learn more about him and his brilliant teaching at twojourneys.org. So, uh, Andy, during the break, Angela, who's producing this show today, said Andy has this very, very calm, calm demeanor. Then he just drops this bomb of information. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're very invitational and very disarming, which I I love about I love that about you. Well, I enjoy every time we get a chance to talk, Bill. I really thanks. Do. All right, I'll, I'll be done fussing over you f- uh, for the rest of the day. Okay, let's <laughs> let's jump into First Corinthians chapter five. Yeah, it's a vital chapter on church discipline, along with Matthew eighteen. Uh, chapters on church discipline in the Bible. And the idea, the, the concept is that healthy churches deal with sin, address sin in their midst. And there's a whole array of ways that healthy churches address sin. Um, but excommunication is the final step. Uh, as Jesus said, you know, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector after you've tried to bring him to repentance. In this case, we've got egregious sin, scandalous sin, and sexual sin. And uh, Paul gives uh, an array of reasons why they should expel this immoral from among them. Um, the key, uh, the key reasons, three reasons in particular. First, for the hopeful, hopefully for the salvation of the individual, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord, so that he can repent. Um, but even if he doesn't, still good has been done, because a little yeast or leaven leavens a whole lump. If you don't expel wickedness from that local church, it will become unhealthy quickly. It's going to spread. And so if you get this sexual sin in the, in the church and it's not addressed, then more people are going to imitate. They're going to do it. So you've got to do it. And third, for the reputation of the church and the community, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that God, God's glory would not be a, a, a sinful, corrupt church. So First Corinthians 5, it's a vital chapter. And in chapter 6, uh, you know, he goes from that to talk about other significant ethical and moral problems, beginning with lawsuits among believers. As I said, this is a messed up church. It's dysfunctional. And so they've got brothers suing other brothers in front of pagan judges. Hmm. I mean, imagine then trying to turn around and win that uh, pagan judge to faith in Christ. Like, why, sh- why should I join you folks? You get squabbling in public. Yeah. And so Paul is pleading with them and, and with this statement, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather be wronged than take it in front of the, the non-Christians to resolve? You know, there should be some wise men, elders maybe in your church, who, are, who you can handle it in-house. But even if it's not handled, it's better to lose the money, to be defrauded and wronged. You know, take it on the chin for the sake of the gospel than to drag this issue in front of the pagans. And then he goes from that to deal with sexual sin. Now, keep in mind, this was a very corrupt city with a lot of sexual sin. And the center of it was the, uh, were the shrines, the cults, uh, where these gods and goddesses were worshipped. 
and they were temple prostitutes, and the Corinthians visited them. They were partaking in that kind of lifestyle before the gospel came, and Paul came and preached the gospel, and people repented, but they had to they had to understand that sexual purity is part of the Christian life. And so he says, look, sexual sin is extremely serious, so much so that he says, look, uh, the kingdom of heaven, you know, uh, people who are sexually immoral, they are, are homosexuals, they're, uh, they're leading a sexual life, uh, they do not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were justified, sanctified, you were saved, you were, you were saved out of that lifestyle. So now you need to, you need to turn away from it. First Corinthians 6 is also a very important passage on the issue of homosexuality, which is obviously a big theme in our culture in these days. Um, one of the ba- basic fundamental flaws of the LGBT movement that's going on is that it's, uh, it's genetic. It's like race. Uh, and it isn't. Um, when Paul says such were some of you, mm-hmm. you can't you can't become an ex-Caucasian or an ex-Ethiopian like like Jeremiah and an Ethiopian change his skin. No, this is that's genetic. That's you know that's racial. It's how God made people. But it is not right to say homosexuals to say God made me this way because Paul says very plainly such were some of you. You can be an ex-homosexual. Mm-hmm. The gospel has the power to set people free. So 1 Corinthians 6 is a very technical, um, clear passage on that. There's a number of Greek words that talk about varieties of sexual sin, and so I think it's worth worth careful study. Yeah, well, Andy, um, but, all, yeah. All, all sexual sin would require restraint. Yeah, I mean, if, if a person is in a, a homosexual lifestyle and says, I yeah. want to live for Christ, there will be restraint through the power of the Holy Spirit to not be Absolutely. in that lifestyle, Correct. Absolutely. And the same thing with, you know, people that were fornicating, you exactly. know, sex, that's, you know, all of it. You know, God's God's plan for sex is within marriage. And interestingly, he goes right into that in chapter seven. Right away, it talks about marriage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a healthy marriage involves a healthy sexual life. And mm-hmm. so he says, couples should not deprive one another. They should come together lest they be tempted. And so, you know, you know, God is not anti-sex. He, he created it, but he created it for marriage, for yeah. the covenant relationship. And so he, he's addressing some weird views there in, in Corinth that I think there are some people that were abstaining within marriage for long periods of time for supposedly super spiritual reasons. Paul says, don't do it. You know, you need to come together. You need to be, be together, you know, in a marital way. But then he goes on from, in the rest of that chapter to talk about other marital statuses, uh, for example, singleness. And he says, look, if, if you don't have to get married, you're not under any compulsion, you're not, you don't have any, you're able to, to control yourself, then it'd be better to be single, as I am, um, Paul says. Um, and, and he says, look, you'll have more freedom for the gospel. You'll be able to, you know, a young woman, uh, is, you know, she, she's not wrapped up with concerns about her husband and her children. She's able to serve Christ. Mm-hmm. Or the same thing with a, with, a, with a man who's free from, you know. So he says, look, I, I actually wish in one sense that everyone were like me, but Paul knows that God, God ordains Christian families and children being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the normal way. Most uh, overwhelmingly, I would say, 60% or more of Christians around the world had at least one Christian parent. So the Christian family is a great, a great machine or factory for making disciples for the next generation. But Paul is saying there's a value to singleness, and he espouses it. He also speaks strongly against divorce. You know, he you have to work out, work out the problems that you're having in your marriage. So he addresses all kinds of marital issues in chapter seven. It's a long chapter. There's a lot, a lot there. Mm-hmm. 
When you yeah. look at this uh, passage too, Andy, that says that neither thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers mm-hmm. will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is yeah. what some of you were, but you were washed, yeah. you were sanctified, you were yeah. justified in the name of the Lord. I remember having a conversation with Dr. Christopher Yuen, and he was in a, the gay lifestyle for many, many years and yeah. the drug lifestyle, and he got uh, sent to prison. And he said, yeah. right now, he goes, not only am I celibate and set apart, but he said, when I think about the way I identify myself, about 16th down the list is, oh, and by the way, I had a same-sex attraction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, that's the whole thing. The, the beauty is that, that you know, like it's, and this is good to consider at Christmas time. The angel said to, to Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Jesus is a savior from sin, from everything that sin ever has done or could do to us. We'll be completely set free. Um, but here's the thing. A, a holy lifestyle, a sanctified lifestyle is the only sure proof that we have genuinely been, been born again. If that sanctified, holy lifestyle isn't happening, then justification hasn't happened. So they, they really go together. And wow. that's what Paul's saying there. You have to see that holiness. And we're never going to be perfect in this life, mm-hmm. but that, that we are at war with sin, we're growing in holiness. So that's what we got. Yeah. Now in chapters 8 through 10, we got a very important ethical issue that we ourselves might be like, well, what is, how is this relevant today? But Paul spends three chapters on the issue of meat sacrifice to idols. Um, but there are, are some very important principles. So and basically to say what was going on, as I said, there, there were very religious people, lots of gods and goddesses being worshipped before the gospel came there. And so Christians were saved out of that lifestyle. But part of it was not just sex with the temple prostitutes, but it was the eating of meat. You know, keep in mind, they didn't have refrigeration back then and cows are big. So, you know, most people didn't eat beef every day. Um, so when if you wanted to eat meat, you would go to a place where they were sacrificing the the animals to the deities mm-hmm. and they and you could go enjoy meat there along with the the sexual immorality that was just part of a lifestyle well the remaining question is all right now that we've been saved out of that we get that we can't be sexually moral but what about the meat can we partake in the meat and and so paul is is trying to be very clear first of all all foods are clean jesus declared all foods clean no no meat ever has a spiritual virus you know there's meat is just meat and so you're free to eat it. But the problem is some Corinthians knew that strongly and they would flaunt their freedoms and eat. They just, they just go down to the temple areas without getting involved in the sexual immorality and just eat the meat. And, and then others who are com- converted last week out of that lifestyle are like looking at these leaders in the church and they're at the, the temple area. And it's like, what are you doing? And, and so Paul gives an important principle. And that is that love limits liberty. So when I, I preached through those three chapters, that was the takeaway that you get from First Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Love limits liberty. We have liberties as Christians, but we restrain them. We, we don't use them always for a higher good or a higher purpose. So um, if, you, if your eating of meat causes a brother to stumble, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then Paul goes into this whole thing in chapter 9 using himself as an example. He said, look, I've got rights as an apostle. I've, I've got freedoms. I could take a wife if I wanted to. Uh, I have the right to be paid for my work. And so one of the most important chapters on pastors like me being paid for our work is 1 Corinthians 9. You don't muzzle the ox while it's trading out the, the grain. You know, I have the right to be paid, but I didn't use that right. Now, you need to pay your pastors, Paul would say, but I didn't take any money from you. 
Uh, and so that's he's using himself as an example of that overriding principle of love limits liberty. Um, and then he goes into evangelistic strategy. He says, look, when I'm with the Gentiles, I become like a Gentile to win the Gentiles. And when I'm with the Jews, I become like a Jew. I know how to live like a Pharisee. I, I restrain my freedoms. I could I could eat pork in front of you know, kosher uh, Jews, but I don't. I fit into what they're doing so that I can win them. I'm not trying to offend them. So he uses himself as an example of love limits liberty. Uh, And then talking about that self-control that he uses, he says, I beat my body and make it my slave, lest after I preach to others, I myself might be disqualified. So he actually goes off into another topic to some degree. The self-control he uses extends to every area of his life, so that he can be pure from sin. And, and what he's saying is, look, I don't want to be disqualified from the gospel ministry by my own sin, like sexual or otherwise. So I'm very, very careful about my, my fleshly appetites, my, my, my stomach and my, my sex drive and all that. I, I keep my body under control because I don't want to be disqualified. And he goes right from that into chapter 10, warning the Corinthians, just because you've begun the Christian life doesn't mean you're going to finish it, all right? Look at the Jews. Most of the Jews that came out of, you know, Egypt and went through the Red Sea never made it. Their bodies were scattered all over the desert. And why? Because they were idolaters Mm. and they were sexually immoral and they're wicked. So he warns them, you need to stand firm. And he says beautifully, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will make the way of escape so you can stand up under it. So this is important. He's dealing with Christian people in a very wicked, corrupt society, telling them you need to be pure, but God is going to help you. And he's, he's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will give you a way of escape. So like Joseph with Potiphar's wife, run away. Take the way of escape. Get out of it so you don't sin. So it's pretty strong in chapter 10. I like that. Dr. Andy Davis is my guest. We are in 1 Corinthians. I assume you know that by now. We're going to take a short break and be back. If you've got something you heard you'd like Andy to elaborate on, please uh, know that you can send a question over to the text line 877-933-2484 and we'll get it on the air. Be right back. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights. I made it down the coast in 17 <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Dr. Andy Davis is my guest, and we are studying 1 Corinthians, and I appreciate Andy's teaching. And I just heard uh, from Angela that she has linked all of your 1 Corinthians teaching in the podcast. So if anyone is mm-hmm. wanting to wander over to twojourneys.org, they can uh, find it right there. Yeah. Well, it'll be a long journey. A 69 sermons are generally about 40 minutes each, so yeah. it's a lot to walk through. Well, it'd be a good, so I, a good yeah. winter project for some. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so we're in Chapter 11 uh, at this point, and uh, we get into some interesting and sometimes controversial things about uh, gender roles, um, 
head coverings mm-hmm. and you know that was a, a great study as I got a chance to walk through that and, and what my takeaway there in first Corinthians 11 1 through 16 on head coverings is what you have there is a timeless transcultural principle uh, wrapped up in cultural time-bound garb um, that's the way I see it that, that basically the transcultural principle is that God has ordained male leadership in local churches as he does also in the Christian family uh, with the, the word head, the headship. And so men men are to lead, uh, men are to be elders, they're to lead in a church. The head coverings, I think there's a lot of debate about whether it's long hair or it's an actual piece of fabric that was put on people's heads. Uh, they were, it was a symbol of that submission. So, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy because people say, you know, you're being inconsistent if you don't actually, if you believe that, then you ought to have all the women wearing literal stuff on their heads and so you have to go through all those things. But, you know, in the end, we, uh, you know, we pastors make, you know, make judgments along with our fellow elders and, you know, what our church is going to do. And our church doesn't, you know, bind conscience of women. You know, some of, we've had some women in our church that have chosen to wear actual pieces of fabric on their head. But, but the principle of male leadership, I think, is pretty clear, not just in First Corinthians 11, but in First Timothy 2 and 3 and other places. So, you know, the idea is men should lead, uh, but their leading, leading needs to be like Christ was. He had total respect and, and tenderness and care for women, um, dealt with them as human beings uh, who needed saving, and he had great conversations with them. And, you know, uh, Martha and Mary, Mary was sitting at his feet drinking in his teaching. I mean, th- that's that's the, the way that men should be dealing with women, but uh, definitely male leadership. And then you got the Lord's Supper, uh, which uh, in our church, every time we do the Lord's Supper, I read the words of institution from First Corinthians 11. You know, what I received, I uh, passed on to you sins and that he was buried and he was raised and then also that uh concerning the lord's supper you know you know the night he was betrayed he just took bread gave thanks broke it gave it to the disciples etc and so we just go through that but the problem was the corinthians were stupid i think they were literally getting drunk on lord's supper wine i mean literally <laughs> gorging themselves behaving like complete pagans and as a result it seems some of them had gotten sick and some had died. God had literally struck them dead, like Ananias and Sapphira. So Paul addresses that and says, look, um, when you partake in the Lord's Supper, you do so with utter reverence. And so, Bill, in our church, we just had Lord's Supper this past Sunday. Always, always expect and trust the presence of the Lord through the Holy Spirit in our church when we partake. Um, we, we don't believe that the bread and the wine is anything other than bread and wine. But we do believe that as you come to it with a reverent attitude, expecting to encounter God through the elements, through the, the, through the ordinance, you will. You will encounter. You will spiritually feed on, on Christ's death and his resurrection. And you look forward to the day when we'll all be feasting in heaven. So it's a very important chapter on dealing with the, with the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And in verse 27, Andy, it says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty yeah of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. How do we understand that? Well, I think that answers why some of them had, had literally died. Uh, they were dealing, you know, God is zealous over these uh, symbols. And, and so, you know, here's the thing. It's like we, we presume sometimes, we're like, we, don't, we forget that the wages of sin is death. All sin deserves death. And so if you're irreverent, blaspheming, you know, uh, dealing with uh, holy things in a very superficial way, it's a sin. And that we would like, yeah, but it's not really important sin. No, no, it is. 
And so I think we're surprised sometimes when God strikes someone dead, like Nadab and Abihu, he struck them dead in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, you know. So if you come at things, holy things, in a very flippant, irreverent way, don't be surprised if God might reach out and, and you might get sick or something might happen. So that's what he's saying. It's a warning. Um, but generally, we just take the Lord's Supper as a joyful celebration. You know, we do look inward and try to see if there's sin in our lives. But anyway, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is on spiritual gifts and f- phenomenally important chapters. And, you know, the spiritual gifts are special abilities given by by the Lord as He wills, according to His wisdom, to every Christian. Every Christian has what I call a spiritual gift package. It's not just one thing, but an array of special abilities that are used to build the body of Christ. And we're, there's one body, uh, and the body has many members. Paul teaches the same thing in Romans 12. Um, but those members don't all, and they're not all, the, all equally impactful, but they all have a vital role. And so there were two problems that were happening here. One would be the people who had the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy, some of the sign gifts, were arrogant over the rest of the body saying, effectively, we don't need you. We're the show. We're it. Mm-hmm. And we don't need you. Mm-hmm. Con- conversely, others were kind of believing that. And they're like, well, I don't have the gift of prophecy or tongues. I guess what I do isn't very important. They're saying, well, I guess I'm not part of the body. Wow. And so they were denigrating their own gifts. And so Paul says, look, neither side of the equation is right. You need to realize, even if you are a leader and up front, like, you know, I preach every week. I'm, up front, I'm an up front person. But I know very well I need every member of the body. And, and they shouldn't say, because I don't preach like Andy does, I'm not part of the body. So he goes through that. And, and so in, in chapter 14, he, he deals with the special problems of prophecy and tongues. Uh, and that's, you know, he goes through specific details. But in the middle, of course, is the most famous chapter in the whole, maybe the whole Bible, uh, but certainly in the epistle of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's right set in the issue of spiritual gifts. You know, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels that have not love, I'm nothing. So you can have all these great gifts, but if you don't have love, and then he describes it, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. And then he speaks about the eternality of love. And uh, probably my favorite sermon series ever on this is by Jonathan Edwards, um, and it's entitled Heaven is a World of Love. And I would commend it. It's it's public domain. So just search Jonathan Edwards, Heaven is a World of Love. He does a phenomenal job describing the eternality of love and what love will be like in heaven. That's fed into the book I wrote on heaven, which I would commend to all of your listeners, called uh, The Glory Now Revealed, the book I wrote on heaven. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a big part of that. So these spiritual gifts are temporary. They're like scaffolding, building the church. But love is eternal, and we're going to spend eternity loving each other. We don't have much more time. Uh, I don't want to miss 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection chapter. And I want to I want to say, fundamentally, there were false teachers there saying there is no resurrection can't happen. Paul says if resurrection can't happen, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, there is no Christianity. But Christ has been raised, and he is the first fruit of a vast harvest. So we are all going to have, Bill, resurrection bodies. And I would strongly commend verses 42 to 44, which clearly describes the Christian's resurrection body in contrast with the corpse. The body that is sown, it's sown, the the body that's sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's a very important word. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. And the most mysterious of all, it's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. I don't know what that is, but it's awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is such good news. Combination of spirit and body. Uh, so anyway, First Corinthians 15. Yeah.
That is such good news, Andy. Yeah. All this. And chapter 16 is a summation, and Paul gives some greetings and some final words about the offering for the saints and the poor among the saints in Judea and some final words which are worth studying, but I think we're near out of time. We are out of time. It's been wonderful. We had a bunch of questions that came in, and and I'm sorry I'm not going to have a chance to address them. Um, So I just need to have you back, I suppose. (laughs) Well, I'd love that. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I know that you... uh, I've got a lot on your plate, and I know how important it is to be studying God's Word and to be uh, taking time with it, meditating on it, studying it. And what you've done with 69 sermons of 1 Corinthians, we just want to let listeners know that they're available. They will be in the notes on in the podcast. So you go to myfaithradio.com, you can check it out. All right, uh, Andy, we've got one more minute, so let me just throw this out, because there has been all kinds of chatter about... Uh, the new perspective on Paul, and, and mm. apparently Paul didn't get it right. So what are, <laughs> what are your 45-second thoughts on that? I, well, I just think it's false teaching. I okay. really do. I, I, I think fundamentally what, what these scholars are saying is that all the other scholars that have been studying Paul and justification all these many centuries have got it wrong, but now we finally have got it right. So if you read our books and follow our teaching, you'll get Paul right. And if you don't, you won't. And I think that's arrogant. The Holy Spirit made sure that people understood Paul properly when they read Romans and, and all his other epistles. So that's what I would say about new, new perspectives. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, Christmas at your church. How many services? Yeah. Are you getting all excited? Well, we'll have a Christmas Eve on Saturday night, and then, of course, Christmas on uh, Christmas Day. I'm awesome. looking forward to that, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to preaching on how Christ was uh, came out of, out of dry ground to be glorious. So Fantastic. So i to that sermon. Yeah. I will go online and listen to it. Andy, thank you so much for spending time. I look forward to our next time you come on the show. Yeah. Thank you Thanks, so much. Bill. I appreciate you it. You bet. Dr. Andy Davis has been my guest. He's the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. You can also learn more about him and his teaching at twojourneys.org. It's twojourneys.org. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I hope you had a wonderful day, and I hope you learned a lot today. I know I did, and I'm looking forward to tonight listening to Andy's message all over again. And I pray that you have a beautiful night, a restful night. And that as you lay your head in the pillow, just know that God is working out his great plan in your life. And he loves you, and I do too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.